I don't know whether you uh, have been following the international news this past week, but uh, actually just a week ago on Sun today, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano of the Roman Catholic Church released a 7,000 word letter calling for the resignation of the Pope, which doesn't happen very often. In the letter, he claims that the Pope was part of a cover-up of decades-long abuse going on, particularly by one cardinal who preyed on aspiring seminarians and altar boys under his care. Church historian Christopher Belito writes, I do think this is a crisis in trust and authority that comes really close to the Lutheran reformations in the early 16th century. And what Belito is referring to is the immorality that embroiled the Catholic Church during the days of a German monk named Martin Luther. Luther's conscience was first pricked as he saw the way that the church was systematically taking advantage of the poorest of the poor. However, as he dug deeper and deeper, he was certain that this was just a surface-level problem. But the deeper he got, he realized there was a festering corruption and greed and immorality that proved to infect the established Roman Catholic Church all the way up to its very head. Church officials were drawing this sharp distinction between themselves and the commoners. They had direct access to God. The common people did not. They were priests. They were the ones who bestowed the grace, forgiveness, and mercy of God as they saw fit. And Luther realized that this theology was really just a very self-serving way for the church to consolidate power and wealth and to oppress the people using doctrines that were the creation of man that were flatly contrary to what was written in God's Word. As he examined the Scriptures, Luther realized that priests weren't a special class of Christians. In fact, he discovered... To his astonishment, the Bible taught that all Christians are priests. All of us. He writes, It has been devised that the Pope, bishops, priests, and monks are called the spiritual estate. While princes, lords, artificers, and peasants are the temporal or the worldly estate. Which is a very fine hypocritical device. But let no one be made afraid by it, and that for this reason, that all Christians are truly of the spiritual estate, and there is no difference among them, save of office alone. As for the unction by a pope or a bishop, tonsure, ordination, consecration, clothes different from those of the layman, all this may make a hypocrite or an anointed puppet, but never a Christian or a spiritual man. Thus we are all consecrated as priests by baptism, as St. Peter says. Ye are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and in the book of Revelation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests. Listen to what he says. A cobbler, a smith, a peasant, 
Every man has the office and function of his calling, and yet all alike are consecrated priests and bishops. And every man in his office must be useful and beneficial to the rest, that so many kinds of work may all be united into one community, just as the members of the body all serve one another. What Luther is saying there is he's, he's saying car salesman, furniture restorer, teacher, preacher, homeschool mom, mechanic, student, old or young, it does not matter your occupation or your age. If you are a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, you are a priest who has access before the throne of God. So many of us put a lot of time and effort and energy and straining into being a good student, to being a faithful salesman, to being a faithful mechanic or teacher, all these things. But how many of us spend mental energy and prayer and hard work and striving towards becoming a faithful priest? But what does a faithful priest even look like? What does a faithful priest do? Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Last week, in chapter 11, Saul has his one shining moment in his entire uh, rule as king. The one time he does the right thing. He has a great victory over the Ammonites. And Samuel gathers all the people and they go back to the river. He says, let's go back to Gilgal. Let's go to the banks of the Jordan and there we will renew the kingdom. And they recrown, they re-kind of coronate Saul. And it's here at the banks of the Jordan River that Samuel says his final farewell. It's over for him. And as Samuel surveys his career, he has no regrets not a single one. And we see what makes for a faithful priest. What makes a faithful priest? Well, let's just look at Samuel together. Let's stand as we hear from the reading of God's Word in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 1. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or who, from whom, whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have found, not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, 
Then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. Ah, but they forgot the Lord their God. He sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. They fought against them, and they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and uh, Barak and Jephthah and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but the king shall, a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king. Now behold the king whom you have chosen, from whom you have asked, for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourself a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray, pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. And do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake His people, but for His great name's sake, because it pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord. Serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great thing he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Amen. You may be seated. All the way back at the beginning of the book, in 1 Samuel 2.35, God promised his people I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do all that is in my heart. This morning as we survey and listen to Samuel's farewell address, we see five ways that Samuel fulfilled God's promise. However, the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus has become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So all of these characteristics that Samuel possessed in part, Christ Jesus, our eternal faithful high priest, possesses supremely in the whole. Samuel did these things as long as he lived. But then he died. Jesus died. 
and does these things eternally because he always and forever lives. And we, brothers and sisters, if we want to be faithful priests, and as much as we seek to exhibit the characteristics that Samuel shows and that we see supremely in Jesus Christ, we ourselves become faithful priests to our God. So let's look at these together. Number one, a faithful priest is faithful to the people. A faithful priest is faithful to the people. Samuel begins his speech by addressing the people. He says, listen, I have done everything that you've asked. I gave you a king. In fact, I have done nothing other than dedicate my life and pour it out to you from the day of my youth up until now. And we, we were there. If you were here with us back in chapter uh, 2, Samuel is telling the truth. The little boy, Samuel, was in the temple of God serving on behalf of the people since he was two or three years old. Verse 3, he says, Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it. And not a single person can bring a testimony against Samuel. Samuel, God is our witness. You have been faithful to us to the very end. You did not take... In fact, you never took. You were always merciful. You always sacrificed. You always gave to the people of God. You never took from us. You were faithful to the people. Verse 5. And Samuel said to them, The Lord is witness against you and has anointed His witness this day that you have found not anything. In my hand. And they said, He is witness. You have found nothing in my hand, Samuel says. Why? Because Samuel had given and given and given to the people and never taken. This is one of the hardest parts of being a priest, this idea of being faithful to the people and that you give and you give and you give and you never get to take. (laughs) It's exhausting. Especially, for instance, those of you who are parents out there may know a little bit of what this is like. To give and give and give and give to your children It can be exasperating, those of you who have adult children, to have given and given and given and and then to watch them walk away from the faith after all of your life that you've poured out to them. You know that moment of exasperation when you give and you give and you give and, and you watch your children be utterly ungrateful and disobedient day after day in the home. And it's hard. At our house, we put the kids down at 8 p.m. But joke's on you if you think the kids are actually down when you put them in bed at 8. Right? You guys know what this is like. That's when they start filing out of their room one by one. I have to go number one. 
Then when they're done with that, they go for round two, coming out one by one. I've got to go number two. <laughs> then it's, I need a drink. I need another book. And then 10 o'clock, it's, they're still finding excuses to try to come out of bed. And on top of that, at our house now, we have an infant who that whole time, if you aren't holding the pacifier and strangling the child with it, he's going to be screaming his head off. And so all of this is going on. And a few nights ago, all this was happening, and I, I whined to Mindy. I was like, I just need 30 minutes without children before I go to bed. There's a story in the Gospels where Jesus and his disciples are busy doing ministry. It says in the Gospel of Mark, so busy they didn't even have time to eat or sleep. And so Jesus says to his disciples, let's get in a boat. Let's go somewhere far away from these people so that we can get some rest. And so they do. But do you know what the people do? They run along the shore so that when they land on the other side, they're all waiting for Jesus. Does Jesus fuss and moan? Does he say, I just need 30 minutes to myself without these needy people needing to be fed, needing to be healed, needing their concerns looked after. Jesus, feed me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The Bible says that when he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and this is how he felt. After he had given and given and given, and the people said, Jesus, give us some more. He had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And do you know what he went on to do later that day? Even though he hadn't eaten or slept, he fed all 5,000 of them. Faithful priest is faithful to the people. They give and give and give. You know, when Jesus had nothing left to give, when his hands were empty, he even gave his hands and feet for us too, didn't he? He laid his empty hands against the cross and he bled and he died for us, never begrudging, never spitefully, completely, willingly letting us nail him to a tree, giving himself completely for us. The faithful priest was faithful to the people. I don't know whether you have a difficult boss at work who seems to take, take, take and never give you anything. Whether your kids are hard at home, whether your spouse is hard to live with sometimes. And it always seems like you're the one giving and never receiving. You may be serving with some difficult church members here at College Street who always seem to want you to give and never give back. Maybe a difficult roommate. The Lord Jesus gave himself completely to you so that you could be a faithful priest and give yourself to others. There's a joy in the exhaustion of yourself and saying, there's nothing left in my hands to give. I've been completely faithful to the people. Number one, a faithful priest is faithful to the people. Secondly, Samuel shows us that a faithful priest is faithful to the gospel. In verse 6 of chapter 12, Samuel begins to tell a story. And in verse 7 he says, Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and your fathers. And so the thing he's about to share with them is the narrative of all of God's righteous deeds 
And he says this isn't some story that happened hundreds of years ago. This is your story and the story of your father's. It's a story that concerns you. And yet he begins with a man who lived 800 years before the people he's speaking to. He begins with Jacob. If you know the story, he and his family of 70 individuals moved down to Egypt when there was a famine in the land. And over the course of 400 years, the people of Israel became slaves in Egypt. And they cried out to God when they were enslaved to Pharaoh. And God sent them salvation. He sent Moses and Aaron. Deliver them out of slavery. Bring them to the promised land. And Samuel says when they got to the promised land, they forgot God over and over and over again. And they fell into sin and they served idols and then they cried out to God and God sent them a judge. And it happened over and over again until Samuel says, and then God sent me. All of a sudden this story that was begun 800 years before now is... Intimately connected with today, as Samuel is even speaking to them. He starts telling a story that's more than 800 years old, then moves to a story that's 400 years old, and then he shows them this is not just some dusty old story in some dusty old book. He says, This is your story, this is our story. Friends, the story that Samuel was recounting to the people that day didn't end when Samuel retired. It continued on. It left Samuel behind and continued on for a thousand more years until it made its way to a cross. You see, Samuel that day was narrating a story that we now call the Gospel. It's the story of how God saved His people from their sins through the man Jesus Christ. A faithful priest is faithful to the gospel. The first chapter of the New Testament is a genealogy. Do you know why? Because it's connecting to the story that Samuel told a thousand years before and saying, this is the same story. This Jesus is the center, is the main character of a story that has been told by God since the foundation of the world. When Jesus enters the pages of this grand narrative in Mark's gospel, his message is simple. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. A faithful priest is faithful to that story. The story of the gospel. Samuel understood his place in God's grand narrative. Do you? And this story is not finished yet. It's being lived out even today in our own lives. Yes, Jesus has died. Jesus has been raised. He's been exalted. But He hasn't come back yet. The finish has not yet come. And even today, we are stepping into a story. The same one that Samuel was recounting to the people. I wonder whether your life feels purposeless. Maybe it's because you don't see yourself as fitting into a grand narrative. The story of salvation history of how God is 
saving people even today? Do you live in a reality that is shaped by the fact that on the face of this planet, the Son of God actually set foot and that He actually was crucified and raised? And do you live in a reality where that same Jesus now rules over all of heaven and earth? That's the story we're talking about here. Do you live in a story where Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and Samuel are not just names in an old book, but they are actually your forefathers in the faith through the gospel? That their story is actually the story of your family. A faithful priest is, a, is faithful to the gospel. Number three. A faithful priest is faithful to confront sin. Samuel's not afraid to put his finger on their sin one last time. He keeps doing it every chapter, it seems, reminding the people how sinful it was for them to ask for a king. Look at verse 17. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. A faithful priest realizes the seriousness of sin. It's so serious that if it goes unconfronted, if people continue headlong in their rebellion against God, it only is going to lead to death and destruction. Do you think that seriously about the unsaved people in your life? That if you, O faithful priest, do not set foot in the path and confront them on their way to death, that it will be eternal destruction for them, for your children, for your co-workers, your family members, your friends. What kind of priest would Samuel be if he saw the people committing high treason against the great and mighty God, ruler, king of heaven, and he wasn't jumping up and down, waving his hands, shouting and hollering, Stop! Do not do it! You will die for this crime against the high king. Jesus himself wasn't afraid to confront sinners when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, why are you eating with sinners and tax collectors? He didn't say, they're not sinners. They're good people. They're good to the core. They, you know, just needed a little extra boost of encouragement and self-esteem. They just needed to be taught how to live their best life now. You know, they needed the power of positive thinking. No, Jesus' response is, I have not called to come. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He calls us spade a spade. He doesn't sugarcoat it. Yeah, they are sinners. And they're the ones I've come to call to repent. I've come to stand in their pathway and confront them in their sin and call them back to their Lord. A faithful priest is faithful to confront sin. 
In fact, it's only when we look at Jesus hanging on the cross that we realize the true nature of our sin, that we have taken our king and nailed him to a cross. That's what sin is. It's rejecting the king of the universe and then hanging him and deriding and and amusing ourselves as he hangs there and dies and bleeds before us. That's what sin is. And if we think that we can do that and then get off scot-free, we are sorely mistaken. Brothers and sisters, we've been placed in the lives of our children, our co-workers, our spouses, our fellow church members, and one of our duties to them as a faithful priest is to confront their sin. Brothers and sisters, realize this, that our Christian children, our Christian spouses, our Christian co-workers, our Christian fellow church members have been placed in our lives in order to confront our sin. They would be gracious to one another, but firm like Samuel. The people loved Samuel, even though he shot it straight with them. He told them exactly what they'd done and what the punishment would be. Verse 15, Samuel is saying, If you will not obey the Lord, but rebel against His command, I'm telling you today, the hand of the Lord is going to fall heavy against you and your king. And in verse 19, all the people are pleading with Samuel not to leave them and to continue to be a faithful priest and to pray for them. You see, when we confront sin out of hate, we're like Satan. Condemnation, guilting, shaming, accusing. But when we confront sin out of love, we are like Samuel. Serious, honest, and calling one another to repentance. Most importantly, we're like Jesus himself when we do that. Be faithful to confront sin. Fourthly, Samuel shows us that he is faithful to comfort. Verse 20. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. I think this is a huge gaping hole in many of our priesthoods. I know it is in mine. We often err on the side of confronting sin, but... Very rarely are we offering the comforts of God's grace and mercy. Parents, we constantly nitpick our children to death. We're always there to point out when they mess up, when they do something wrong. How often do we go out of our way to bring comfort to those same children? Husbands and wives... How often do we only look at the ways that our spouses fail and are never looking for opportunities to comfort them with the grace of God? And this isn't empty comfort that Samuel extends, you know, some kind of liberal. Well, we're all God's children. He accepts us all no matter what we do. That's not what Samuel offers them. It's a comfort that offers the hope of repentance. 
That God will always receive a repentant sinner back. It's the comfort of Isaiah 45. Return to the Lord that He may have compassion on you. And to our God for He will abundantly pardon. It's the comfort of Jeremiah 29.13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will find me, the Lord says. It's a promise. Just come back to me. We comfort one another with the hope of repentance. That when you turn away from following after these empty, vain things that cannot deliver you, that cannot satisfy, and when you return to following the Lord, Samuel says, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. But you know, the greatest comfort that Samuel gives is not in our hope for repentance, but actually in God Himself. Look at verse 22. How do we know God will save us? For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Samuel says, do you want to know what your greatest comfort is? It's that God is saving you not just for your sake, but for the sake of his name and his glory among the nations. If you have sinned, believe that he will not let you fall away because he is not eternally glorified in your temporary salvation He is only glorified eternally if He can prove to be an eternal Savior. Jesus didn't suffer and bleed and die on the cross only to lose the people that He went to such great lengths to purchase. Samuel says, be comforted in that. God's purchased you. And the ones who belong to God, He will never lose. He will overpower sin and death and Satan. In fact, he is determined day by day to demonstrate his glory and power as you overcome sin and death and temptation in your life. Friends, I wonder whether you know that comfort. I wonder whether you know the Jesus who says, don't turn aside. Follow me. The Jesus who calls us out of the darkness of sin and into the light and comfort of the gospel. Do you know that there is another life out there? One that isn't filled with shame and guilt and hiding? A life that is filled with repentance and joy and freedom from all of that guilt and shame. Will you not turn aside from your rebellion and your chasing after the vain things of this world and to follow after Jesus? who comforts us, the King who laid down His life for the forgiveness of our sins, who comforts us with the truth that He did this so that we could become the shining of His glory, the demonstration of His power and His saving ability. Brothers and sisters, that is our comfort. Well, let's Recap as we conclude. A faithful priest is faithful to the people. A faithful priest is faithful to the gospel. A faithful priest is faithful to confront sin, but also to provide comfort. And finally, a faithful priest is faithful to pray. Listen to verse 23. 
Samuel says, Moreover, as, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the righteous way. Only fear the Lord. Serve Him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Samuel understood that his fundamental duty, his identity as a priest was wrapped up in this one activity. Prayer. Far be it from me, he says, that I should sin against the Lord, that the Lord would pluck me out from the beginning of my life And set me aside for this one duty which was to intercede on your behalf to pray for you. Far be it for me that I would neglect the one duty which is bound up in my identity as a priest. Samuel lived to pray. That's the sign of a faithful priest. Brothers and sisters, do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ himself lives to pray for us? The Bible says it. Day and night, night and day without ceasing, Jesus is praying for you. Even right now, as you're hearing this sermon, the Lord Jesus is in heaven praying for you, that your ears would be open and your heart to receive and to go do what you hear. Jesus is praying for me and Lord knows I need it to preach faithfully the gospel to you from this passage. Jesus is faithfully being a priest to us without ceasing. Listen to verse. Uh, listen to Hebrews 7. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lives to pray for us. That's what He lives for. Intercession. That is a priest's fundamental role, to go between two parties. That's what it's saying. Jesus always lives to go between us and the Father. If Jesus ever dies, then we will lose access to the Father. But the writer of Hebrews says Jesus always lives. And so we can have confidence to draw near, to join Jesus in praying. Brothers and sisters, as we close, I wonder who you are supposed to be praying for in your life. That coworker who's running from the Lord, who's going to pray for them if not you? Those children whose heart you see is so hardened against the Lord and does not want to obey and sees no, has no remorse over their sin, who's supposed to pray for that child if not you, their mother, their father? That church member who's falling into temptation and who's no longer gathering with the people of God, who's supposed to pray for that person if not their fellow church members? That spouse, that husband or wife that God's given to you, who do you think God expects to spend a lot of time praying for them if not you? Even that roommate the person who lives under the same roof as you, why has God placed you under the same roof with them if not to pray for them? Your pastor, who's going to pray for him if not his congregation? Jesus came 
bled, died, was raised, exalted to the throne, the book of Hebrews tells us, so that we would have access to the throne so that we could pray. So that we could be engaged in this fundamental activity as priests to God in prayer. The cross happened so that Jesus could say, draw near. Come on in. Let's talk. Let us be faithful priests. Let us pray. You and I are not in Newberry by accident. You're not in your jobs by accident, your marriages, your families, your extended families. God put you there to be a faithful priest to those people. And one of the things you ought to be doing day in and day out is praying for them. Let's be faithful priests to these people. Let's be faithful to the gospel, to confront sin, to comfort, and to pray. Let's pray together. God, we take for granted the access that you have moved heaven and earth to give us. We are so neglectful to be faithful priests in our activity to pray. God, I pray this week that we would be driven by the example of Samuel and by the invitation of our Lord and Savior Jesus to join him in prayer. To be faithful priests this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.